Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. Today is a special Father's Day edition of the Life After Sugar podcast, and I'm very proud and happy to be in the company of three special fathers to talk about their life after sugar in all kinds of ways. And the three guests that I have are Dan Grief from UK Low Carb, Jeff Gherkin, who I talked to in a previous episode, that's episode 16 of the Life After Sugar podcast. In fact, if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, you can also find all of the episodes on my website, that's aftersugarclub.com forward slash podcast. And as a very special guest, my own dad, Alan Gorman. In fact, I found a recording of us both from 2018, way before COVID, when my dad was over in Montreal visiting us. And I happened to have recorded us both, which I'm really happy I did. And this was way before I even had the idea of making a podcast. But funnily enough, guess what we talked about? So let's get going with my first guest, Dan Grief from UK Low Carb. I'm interested to know about how your change in your diet has affected you as a father. Yeah, thanks, Netta. It's great to be on your show. And uh, as a listener from when you first launched in late January, it's really good to see you so successful. So well done. Um, just to go straight to the questions, I know I've got massive amounts of time. Um, so being a parent is actually a hugely defining thing in my life, um, maybe more so than it is to many. And what I mean by that is, um, I know, I know you talked about a lot, you know, your journey to being a parent and how important that was. And for me, I was actually at one point training to be a, a priest in the Catholic Church. So the idea of celibacy was very much an option, uh, well, an option, it was, it was going to be the way it was going to be. And, uh, and in the end, I left because I knew that I wanted to have my own family, to have a wife and children, and in particular to have children. That was a really strong feature for me. I've always wanted to be a dad. And so when my, my two children, who are five and two, came along, um, it was just the thing that really completed me. And I really felt that whatever happens in my life, that my goal has always been to be a dad and, and a husband. So I'll, I'll be very happy with the rest of my life with those, with those facts in place. So, yeah, so that has really directed the, the course of my life. And so you want the very best for your children. I know we all do, well, hopefully all do. And the things that I kind of think for them is I want them to be free to make choices not to be controlled in any way by me or anyone else, but to be able to, to live their lives the way they want to, but to be informed to know what probably would work for them based on what's worked for me. And certainly sugar is, you know, we don't do sugar and we, you know, we've, okay, very occasionally in very odd situations we do, but because my kids have nut allergies, generally when we're out and about, they can't eat sugar anyway, because it's in nutty based things like cakes and whatnot that might have nuts in. Um, so we do avoid the sugar. 
when it comes to things like carbohydrates and other things, they do have that, but we we're much more aware of, you know, they probably will have insulin resistance like my wife and I do. So we want them to be, you know, eating real food. And that's really important for me that they have a healthy basis in life with good development and, you know, healthy brains, healthy bodies, because they're eating real food, real vegetables, real meat and fish. Yeah, fantastic. Did you find when you went low carb that you had more energy, more sort of, because I mean, the first few years of having a baby or babies, you know, you're not sleeping much. It's a bit crazy. And I think your dietary change happened at around the time when your kids were really tiny. How did yeah, that help they weren't you? born yet. Yeah. So Besma had gestational diabetes. So we were at before, you know, my, my daughter came along. We were actually at that point looking at low carb as a way to, for her to manage her gestational diabetes. And then when when she was born, we then carried on with that. OK, not at first, but then very quickly we were like after a few months after she was born, we we're like, you know what? you and me were both healthy. I mean, that first pregnancy, Vesma was actually lighter than when she went into it and healthier than she'd been for years. Then she was carried on breastfeeding and she was, that was also obviously very, very healthy for her metabolically as well. And I thought, hang on a minute, I want some of this too. So I'm going to carry on low carb. So that's how it happened. And then especially when, I think it's easier when they're little, um, you know, keeping the sugar out was very easy and, you know, we'd have carbohydrate for Hannah, but it wouldn't be a huge amount of the stuff. It'd be just a small amount. But when they go to school and nursery, that's where things are harder and you've got to stand your ground a bit to say, actually, you know, it's going to sound awful, but I don't want my daughter eating nasty kind of cheaply made sugary cakes and stuff because it's just not good for kids. And I see the impact it has. So, yeah, so we we found the more energy, certainly, just come back to your question, sorry, we did have a lot more energy and it did help. And things like, you know, just getting up in the night and feeling like oh, it's exhausting, but you know we don't we're not eating sugary things to keep us going like some people are um that's probably very very helpful yeah amazing and how do you cope with like your parents or, or your wife's parents the grandparents you know as as a parent yourself or especially as a dad because sometimes it's up to the mum to have those sorts of conversations but as a dad how do you talk to your parents about what they give your children to eat so I was really lucky in the household I was raised in because my dad comes from, so my, his dad was the gardener in a National Trust stately home um, in Norfolk and Oxborough. And he's born in 1908, my grandfather. So he's always a very old man from my memory when I was a little boy. And he would just eat the way that I eat now, really. So he'd actually, and I love this because my mom was horrified in the 1980s and 90s when she heard this, but he would say, oh, you know, keep the fat back on the beef for me, please, you know, to like my grandmother. And he would eat that part. And especially he'd say in the winter, oh, I eat a bit more fat because, you know, he was working till he's 83, this man. He was very, very healthy. He was an incredibly fit guy and he died in his late 90s, my grandfather. And he would just eat things like homegrown vegetables he'd grow in his garden. Um, he'd have fatty cuts of meat. But he wouldn't actually eat chicken that often. He would see that as being not real meat. He wanted lamb and beef and stuff. And he had a great diet and he was a really healthy guy. So I think my dad's been influenced by that. My dad generally eats a few potatoes now and again, he doesn't go low carb, but he generally will eat quite healthy whole food, I find. Um, and then growing up, my mum was very much like that too, where she said, you know, I remember an ex-girlfriend coming over from university saying, you don't have any fruit in your house? And I was like, no, never have. And my mum would say, no, we're just full of sugar. We just have vegetables, really. Um, and so I was very much raised on broccoli and all these veggies and stuff. 
uh, and home cooked food. So it wasn't. So now with my children, I, I think that's there. Um, I think with Bessemer's family, it's, you know, they, they do a lot of co- their own cooking as well. So they're very, very practical hands on people. I think the problem is when, you know, I'm not naming names in our family, but when people who are, you know, uncles, aunties, sometimes grandparents buy treats and you think, okay, as long as my children are eating their meal, the proper food and not eating the treats and stuff, I, I, you don't want to cause a conflict, but we will say like, can you get something a bit healthier? Or, you know, I find the fruit obsession weird personally, because, you know, okay, so it's fiber, vitamins and sugar. Well, vi- well, sorry to be basic, but vegetables are vitamins and fiber. So just eat that. Like, what's the obsession with fruit all about? I don't get it. It's probably marketing, really. And that sometimes makes me think, look, we don't need to feed kids tons and tons of bananas and apples as a good thing. Just feed them some broccoli on their plate if you're really concerned about it. And, and that, that is an awkward conversation to have sometimes. Oh, t- yeah, it is tough to have because it's not about the food. <laughs> the conversation yes. goes way above the food. That's the thing. It's about you know, the positive intention, the love, the caring. It's as if the grandparents think, well, um, I want to love my grandchildren and spoil them. And here we are coming along as parents saying, uh, no, <laughs> that's how yeah, they- exactly. That's how they, that's how they perceive it. And it's, you know, and, it, and it's also, it's like a reflection on, you know, like you're, you're not trying to say, look, I'm a better parent than you were or anything like that, or I know what's best for all children. It's just like, well, for my children, I've made this choice and I think it's best for them. But some people have this anonymous thought that happiness and sugar go together. And so if you're not giving sugar to a child, then that child's miserable. And I think how, what a sad reflection of your thoughts on happiness that is, because it's not happiness. And we know that for real. It's actually happiness is based on stability, love spending time with their loved ones and playing with them. That's what happiness is based on. The sugar part is just, you know, it's just a food that you don't have to give. You can give other things in other ways. It doesn't have to even be food-based. But that's, Absolutely. You know, totally agree. Yeah. I mean, I did a whole episode just about treats equals sweet, question mark. And yeah. as a father, do you find that the um, processed food industry has planted this belief in our brains that, you know, to love our kids, we need to give them sugar? Um, I don't know. I think it is possible. I mean, I, I've not something I've really thought about because generally we try to avoid all that stuff. But I have noticed since my daughter's older and now she started school in September last year, that certainly we seem to be exposed to more things than we were before. I think when she's in the nursery, it seemed a bit smaller, different people she's mixing with. She goes past the shops now on the way back from school, whereas the nursery is really close to our house. So maybe she's been influenced in that way for sure. Um, I just think you know, the thing that really winds me up, and I actually tweeted about this about a year or so ago, is how they have the sweet aisle right next to the till in the UK. And it drives me crazy because I, I was a stay-at-home dad for a while and uh, I'd go shopping with my daughter and she would straight away be taken in by the colourful wrappers and all that stuff. Now, she wasn't actually that used to eating those things, so she wasn't really interested in them. She wanted the, the colourful wrapper and just to open it and see what it was. So that's how that worked. But I thought, yeah, there is a bit of a, you know, hooking kids into this, this image and then associating that fun packaging with the fun taste in their mouth. But then they don't have to, these, these food industries don't have to deal with the after effects. And that's always a problem. So in the short term, it's the fact that the child might feel like, you know, they have a come down, they get moody or they have a tantrum. In the long term, what about the metabolic health of that individual? And 
we pay for that as taxpayers with our national health service or if you're in different countries you might pay through it through your insurance um and you know and that's where the real cost of that sugar is and i'd rather keep her away from that as long as i can if when she's older she makes choices that's up to her as she grows up but i feel like the best basis is to really help especially between the ages of like zero and two is give and that's where my daughter had and son had zero sugar we were so on it because we're like you know brain development and their development is so important i don't want to give toxic crap to my children yeah yeah and so how do you treat them how do you give them treats what else? Okay, so this is a really interesting thing. I don't, and uh, I'm going to sound bad now, but I don't give them any treats. So when I was a stay-at-home father, so I was, my wife's doing a PhD, she's in the last few months now at Cambridge University. And um, so that meant the first year in particular, I was a stay-at-home dad and I started a business in that time. But anyway, that's another story. But when I was a stay-at-home dad, I used to, I used to go to these children's groups and mostly mums and about one or two blokes there. And I was one of the one or two. So um, we go to like the park afterwards. And I noticed that a lot of the mums were getting out these like, you know, little little um, Tupperwares full of fruits and snacks and rice cakes. And I was like, what's going on here? Like, you know, and, and, and my daughter was never hungry. And my son's is at the same. They're never hungry at those times. And I sort of say, so what do they eat for breakfast? Oh, cereal. And then like 10 o'clock, they're hungry. And... <laughs> I've always been like, especially since she was born, like, you know, low carbon, love eggs. And we would eat omelettes together. I'd cook it between the two of us, three egg omelette, cut it in like some off for her, the rest for me. And that'd be our breakfast. And both of us would be not hungry until one, two o'clock. I'd, I'd go a lot longer, not even be hungry after that, to be fair. And so I just didn't get into the habit of snacking. That's not something we've done in our family. And I think, you know what, a meal time is a proper time to sit down together as a family and to be with each other. So let's make it a real occasion and eat a proper meal. So then when it comes to treats and things, I don't turn up with like sweets and stuff. The most, the best thing I do, I think, is I just turn up. We all chat, we read books together. Um, my two-year-old is trying to copy his older sister so he's trying to like read at the moment and get it wrong but it's hilarious and cute and then we just spend time together and then we do drawings together for each other and you know and it's just it's just lovely honest time I don't I don't see this treat culture as being necessarily a good thing because what you're rewarding as well you're trying to like treat somebody as a way to say like I love you or I reward you for good behavior I just find it a bit odd really attention and love is the most important treat you can ever give somebody well exactly so you do treat them just not in the way that most of us would understand. I see a treat as going out of your way to make a, a gesture. And I think good parenting is just being there and loving them. That's it. Yeah. 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 Whatever, whatever they eat, it's not about the food necessarily. It's about the time that you spend with them and the quality of the time from what oh, you're saying. Yeah, for sure. And I think I always want to spend more time, but you know, we, we go swimming on the weekends and, you know, we go out for meals together at the weekends now that lockdown's kind of ending we can do that yeah. and um spending time is the most precious thing because that's what's going to go and yeah. you realize as they go oh, on your children are older your, is it your daughter um yes. how old is she now she's 13 now yeah I bet that's gone in a blink of an eye hasn't it yeah it, you, you can't believe how fast it goes <laughs> yeah my nephew's 16 and I kind of I'm still surprised because I remember running around in playgrounds when he's like three and you know it goes so fast so I think time is the most precious thing you can do and and then education secondary you know to make sure that they secondly sorry so they can actually go out there and live the best life and be informed and make choices on their on their behalf you know that's the most important thing you can do can you see young as they are that your children 
are more, uh, I guess, are more aware of their choices, your choices, you know, things like that. Are they too young to realize what that how you eat is sort of different? I don't think they're aware of that. Although, I mean, okay, so my son, who's two and a half now, he's a heck of a character, a real talker. I don't know where he gets it from. Yeah. And, uh, my family are big talkers. Like they all start talking very, very young. They're hardly moving, but they're having a conversation. And um, and he certainly has a sweet tooth, I've noticed. And so when we go to a party, and that's the only sort of time that he might have a little bit of something, if it's safe, etc. And I think, yeah, I can see it in his eye that it just hits him like, I want that again. And it's like, whoa, okay. So he's not aware that other people live. And I'm sure that's the same for my daughter too. But I think they know when we go to those events that certainly I'll restrict them in a way that other other parents don't maybe. And I don't want to make a judgment. It's up to them. But I'll be like, okay, one small piece is, is it to try and be inclusive. And I think sometimes I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do this. And it's awkward and everything. It's, life's not easy sometimes with those choices. But but I can, they don't, they're not aware they have a different life to other people at the moment. But I'm sure that when they go get a bit older and have actual sleepovers and all those things, I'm sure they will be more aware because kids probably do see and compare and just think, oh, we don't do that. I mean, like I said about my ex-girlfriend, you don't have fruit in your house, you know, horrified, um, almost like we're going to die of scurvy. And, you know, like, well, no. And why don't we have fruit in mum? I've never noticed this before. We don't have fruit, do we? Well, you don't like fruit. Yeah, and I don't like fruit. Why don't I have it in? It's healthy, isn't it? And that's why I don't like it, because it's healthy. Um, <laughs> and she said, no, it's just full of sugar. Oh, right, yeah. No, it's full of sugar. We don't have it for that reason, you know. So I guess, and I was like about, what, 18, 19 at the time, and I didn't know. So maybe that's yeah. the same with them. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. I think, you know, the, one of the greatest treats we can give our kids is to have them question things and be aware of things and talk to them, have them ask questions and actually answer their questions, you know, and not, Sort of dumb it down for them and uh, i found that with my daughter when she goes to friends because the older your kids get the more that's time they'll spend outside of the home and for my daughter she it has often been asked oh she's often been told you can't have this can you you're not allowed to have sugar and she gets on you know really annoyed at that and says hey i can eat whatever i like i don't stop yeah. her from eating anything she can make at her age, she can make her own decisions. Yeah, but yeah. We've sort we sort of put them on that path to be able to make their own decisions. Oh, completely agree. I mean, there's so many things you could say that about, aren't there? You know, choices which are either healthy or not so healthy. But in the end, you know, they're going to grow up to be their own adults, their own decisions. And I think you're right. You have to empower them. I think that that's, that must be so annoying to your daughter to be told you're not allowed because the implication is that she's powerless and that she has no say in her life. And I'd be furious if someone said that to me. So I completely relate to where she's coming from. But actually, you know what? You've done a good job in, in saying to her, look, this is what happened to me on sugar. This is what happens to me off sugar. What do you want to do? And I think that you can't do better than that, can you? And lead by example and teach, hopefully, you know, all of our children to cook properly and, and be self-sufficient in that way. Oh, if, they, if they go out and eat trifle or whatever, that's up to them, completely up to them. But I think... Definitely. The basic, I, you see, I, I think a lot of kids do this anyway. I think a lot of people when they're like 18 to 25, or maybe even older, they have that sort of bit of a blowout and a bit of a live life as you want. But, you know, genetically, there are reasons why in the future, I suspect that will catch up with them just like it did with me and my wife. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Well, I think, I think our children are more aware that we are living life like as we want. It just doesn't necessarily correspond with, you know, the sort of accepted definition of as you want, e equaling with loads of junk food. 
or loads of sugar. Yeah, I mean, okay, so that's the thing, though. The food industry is very good at getting teenagers into those establishments, like, you know, some of the big food chains, should we say, that you can sit in and uh, eat burgers and chicken and whatnot, um, because they're, they're trying to sell a social scene and being part of a tribe, don't they? And it's a cool place to go to. And that's very powerful marketing. And, you know, sometimes you've got to just realise you have to forgive yourself and know that, okay, these things will happen and that's a shame, but, you know, you should never be defined by your choices that you've made. Just make the next one you want to make your own, just, you know, and that's fine. Don't beat yourself up, move on, you know? Yeah. And I think teaching your children that as well is really important. If you, if you said to your children and my children, you're not allowed this ever. And then they're like 18. You're like, you better not have done that thing. I can imagine they'll do that thing. You know, I just think that's how human nature works. So you I have to so. inform and empower. Yeah absolutely well that's fantastic you're you're a great dad <laughs> oh thank you very much I don't think my, my daughter would agree when I'm telling her off but yeah <laughs> when I'm telling her she has to go to bed I don't want to you have to it's like you know way past your bedtime as it is so yeah <laughs> but I'm glad you appreciate me thanks Netta <laughs> you're very welcome thanks Dan oh lovely and here's a little excerpt from my chat with Jeff Gherkin this past winter that was that was the thought process it just didn't dawn on me is what i'm trying to say it didn't really dawn on me that i was getting fat and the interesting thing is i think back in retrospect is that my father was fat and i just thought of him as being an old fat man that was my image of him that he was fat and then it, i remember one time that he told me and i don't know how old I, I i don't know how old i was when he told me this but he told me that he used to run cross country in school and I remember thinking, there's no way you ever ran cross country. Because he I, was fat? Yeah, because he was fat. I, I had run cross country in, in school. I had run track and played soccer and run cross country. And when he told me he had run cross country, I was like, that's it's impossible. I was like, <laughs> how could you how could you run this like a you know three and a half mile race, you know, through fields up and down hills? How could you have done that? And it just and, didn't and it didn't dawn on me. This is how naive we are in youth, right? It, it didn't dawn on me that when he was in high school, he was as rail thin as I was. Yeah. So I, I looked at him because and I'm also the youngest of four. So my father was relatively a little bit older. Like maybe my oldest brother, maybe he saw a younger man as my father, right? But I never saw that young man. I saw an old fat man. That's was my image of him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, I, but I never made the connection and my family never made the connection of going from a young skinny person to an old fat person that something has to happen between starting point A and end point B. And I know this in, in retrospect, this must sound terribly naive, but I mean, this really was my worldview. It's like, you know, he was old and fat and he had always been that way. And I was young and skinny and I had always been that way. And I had never really thought about, uh-oh, there's, there's a bridge between those two. And I'm on that bridge walking toward obesity and I'm not even aware of it. And like I say, until like my mid-20s when I had my own job and I'm buying my own clothes and I'm seeing that my, my pants are shrinking in the laundry. <laughs> And you're still naive enough to think it's the, it's your <laughs> pants' fault. I got to the point, so I'm in my you know age 45 or so, losing weight to be on the soccer team, and and I'm running, and then I'm, I'm being competitive, you know, with the other dads playing soccer. I'm being competitive running, 
and it really stressed my Achilles heel. And it got so bad after a year and I had lost my weight. So, I mean, you think every, at least I thought everything's good. It's great. I'm happy. It's good. Weight's gone, but I've got this small problem. I can't walk anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really, I could like barely walk if, if, and my, my son was, he was doing uh, soccer and he was also doing uh, baseball, little league baseball. And I remember explicitly a very good memory in my, in my head that I had lost my weight. My wife's parents came. So my in-laws came and we were going to take my son to his little league soccer game and watch him play soccer. And there's this big complex with uh, baseball fields and a huge parking lot. That's we had to walk quite a ways to his his um, his game. And so I'm there with my father-in-law. I say my dad was an old fat man. I don't want to be mean to my father-in-law, but you know, very similar, right? Plus, plus he he had other ailments, and you know, he he's he served in the Korean theater of war. So like his time goes back, and I'm with him. We get out of the car. And we're going to walk to the baseball field. And I could not keep up with him walking. And I'm, I'm saying, like, he was, he was completely old, out of shape, frail, health issues. And, you know, even though I'm in my mid, mid to late 40s, much, much younger. And I lost all my weight. And I couldn't even walk. I couldn't keep up with him because I wow. had this injury. Because of this injury. Right it was kind of demoralizing to me. And it's like, I've got to stop running. I I can't do this anymore. So I had lost my weight in that period of time, mainly through exercising. Yes, I had quit soda, but I was exercising like crazy. And I was, I was still drinking the flavored seltzer. Okay. So I, I stopped exercising and it takes a long time for the Achilles to heal up and it has healed. It's, it's fine. I could always re injure it by overstressing it, but I was starving at that time too, because part of losing weight was dieting. And I'm thinking exercise is still the key, but I know that I can't go back to drinking soda because it would be even worse. And, I, and I'm thinking about ways to diet, but I can't exercise. So it's, it's really this, this thing in my head that I had to exercise and diet. So by that time I knew I had to diet, but I, I was just always so hungry. I had no energy. It's like a vicious circle. It's, yeah. it's, I, just, I just felt completely trapped. And, and the weight came on and it's like, oh, well, this is what happens. You get old, you get fat, you get diabetes. I kind of had resigned myself to say, well, I'm old and fat. And that's, and you know, yeah, we get ourselves to a point where we think, well, that's just inevitable when we get older. And it's so disempowering because it's like we're victims of, this lifestyle that well not even a lifestyle it's just this reality that we create for ourselves the way we have no personal power no nothing that we can do it's just we believe that it's normal as you get older to get fatter and sicker right and what moved the needle for you to move from that very common paradigm to today to how you feel today and how you eat today yeah, in my mind, it's it's almost like a miracle, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not outwardly a very religious person, and I don't necessarily want to say that there was some literal miracle, and I don't really want to give it like a religious perspective. But there was something that just 
a thought that just came to me one day as if it was a miracle. And the situation was, um, it was Christmas 2019. So I think I was, I would have been 54 at that time, I believe. And uh, like I said, my wife's a great cook and, and my son by this time, he's in high school, playing high school sports, still thin as a rail, um, eating, he can eat all the sugar he wants. He can, he could eat anything, drink anything, you know, drink soda. But I do try to limit him to one soda a day. Just, I, like, I don't want to say you can't have soda because I think it's bad, but I don't want him drinking soda all the time. So I've, I've tried to consciously uh, have him drink much, much more water but allow him one soda a day. But anyways, we're, we're both my son and I were sitting in the living room and it's maybe a week before Christmas and my wife's making uh, uh, Christmas cookies and, and she loves to cook. I mean, this is her thing. She, I, I feel bad saying it because I think, well, I, I'm taking advantage of her cooking. But I mean, she loves to cook. That's what we do. And so my, my son and I are waiting for cookies and you can smell them and you know, I'm, I'm 230 pounds and I, I know the weight's just going to keep going up and up. And, I, and I'm just sitting there. And, and this is the miracle part because I really, I, I had no hope of losing weight. I had resigned myself to just being fat. I had resigned myself toward health problems. And I'd started having more health problems at that time. And maybe this is where the thought came from because like I had various symptoms, like my, my heart, didn't feel good. Like I had like chest pains, not, not like, not like sudden chest pains. Like I should go see a doctor or at least I, I'm reluctant to ever see a doctor for anything, but it's like, it's something didn't feel right. It's like something wasn't right there, but yet, so here I was sitting in the living room with my son and we're waiting for cookies to come. And I just thought to myself, I, I can't do this. It's like, I, I know these are bad for me. I, I know there's the sugar, the calories and I just can't do this. And so I just stopped at that moment. And, and I, I told my wife that I, I can't eat this food anymore. And, and there's, there's, a, there's an emotional component because part of the way we express love, I think, is by making food, eating food, appreciating food. And so I really had to have a deep discussion with her yes. about that, that, that she understood it was not personal. You know, I, I loved her cooking. I loved her, but I could not eat her food. I may have grown up close enough to the generation where, uh, like I say, my, my father-in-law and my father, they both lived during World War II and uh, had, had experienced the, the tail end of the depression. And, and so like, it's, it's a generation where they taught me you eat all the food that's on your, on your plate. Yeah. And so it was very difficult for me to let food go to waste. But I had to tell my wife I was going to do that. And I was, I was, I was going to stop eating after dinner. I was going to have, I just like made this giant announcement to myself that I'm going to stop eating after dinner. No ice cream, no Christmas cookies. Like, you know how hard that is because we're like a week away from Christmas and there's Christmas cookies and treats everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. It wasn't <laughs> easy, but I was doing it. And, yeah. I, and I, I was never, I was never not doing it. So, I mean, okay, there's, I, this, it's just my personality. I have this kind of personality. It's like, if I set a goal, I can't have exceptions. I know a lot of people allow lots, lots of exceptions, but for me, I can't. That's good to know about yourself. Listen, Jeff, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'm going to go and see my 
daughter who just got up. It's 11, 11 15. She just got up. She's a teenager now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even sure if my son's up yet. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's fascinating. Well, thank you for having me. And it's nice talking to you. Thank you. Oh, smashing. Thanks, Jeff. And here is my third guest, my dad, Alan Gorman. We recorded this at an outdoor cafe in Montreal, so excuse the background noise, but I hope you enjoy the lovely relationship that my dad and I have. All right, I'm here with my dad, Alan, who's how old are you? 70-something. 70-something. <laughs> on, on a visit to, to Montreal, Canada, from England, from Wales. Um, and... Um, You've been following my stuff about sugar for a little while. Have you made any changes in your life, in your habits? Yes, I've made adjustments. Yeah. Not radical. But yeah. Adjustments, yeah. I'm, I'm drinking less fruit juice and being more aware. And how much fruit juice did you drink before? Oh, regularly, instead of water. We drink a big glass of what, orange, orange juice. Yeah. And good, good sort of cold pressed with the pulp orange juice well it was with the pulp whether it's cold pressed i assume it was it's from the shop yeah <laughs> and um and then why did you change that habit well because i became more aware after being exposed to your <laughs> information that actually sugar is um a major, a major component. Whereas I didn't think of it as sugar. I thought of it as sweet, but not as sugar. Yeah, major component of the juice. Of the juice, yeah. Because you get all the sugar of the so of the um, oranges, but hardly any of the fibre, which you would get in a regular orange. orange. I mean, yeah, frankly, drinks orange juice squeezed from the orange, but I'm too lazy. But that's, it comes to the same thing. It absolutely comes to the same thing, whether you squeeze it from the orange or buy it in a bottle, it's still devoid of a lot of the fibre. And then, and so you've got all the sugar of several oranges. Well, I used to grow, uh, work in the orchards, and uh, where oranges were grown, and I used to, I must have eaten literally tons of oranges whole, but of course now I've got no access. I only the shop. Okay, when you were working at the orchard, did you eat loads of oranges every day? Uh, oranges and grapefruit, absolutely. Lots and uh, like lots and lots. Every day. Every day. Yeah. So, and how many would sort of how many oranges could you eat like before you got full? Well, I didn't count them. No. I don't think I got full. I just felt I'd have enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually what feeling full is all about. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and part of the thing with orange juice is you've got, as I say, all the sugar without a lot of the fibre, if any, if you take, even if you take out the pulp, then there's really no fibre at all. And it doesn't um, send a message to the brain that you're getting full. Well, it also doubles as a drink. Yes, I'm yeah. I'm thirsty, as well, um, so I'm not expecting to be full, I'm just expecting to quench my thirst. Yeah, which is what you'll do, and you're not going to get full with juice, yeah, because that's not its sort of point. Yeah. Okay. And um, and you were telling me about um, sugar sort of not necessarily being in sweet foods. Well, I, the other thing I learned from reading what you wrote and listening to what you said is that carbohydrates are part of the same parcels together with sugars. 
as from a nutritional point of view or a digestive point of view, which I'd never done in my mind before. Yeah, but carbohydrates like a big family of which sugar and sugar, you know, it's like a, sugar is a sort of a member of that family. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, I didn't have that view of sugar before. Yeah. It tends to be a sort of all or nothing reaction, which is, in me anyway, I don't know if I'm typical, which is, oh, oh my goodness, if that's the case, you know, listening to you now, I mustn't touch any of that. And ever again yeah and that's a human reaction you can't yeah. blame sugar for that type of reaction no no not you personally but I mean yes it, um, you're not alone in reacting or wanting to react that and way and so then the question arises you know what do, is there such a thing as a moderate consumption of these things yeah I mean and there is there's all sorts of consumptions you know you consume whatever you like but um, uh, metabolically speaking or biologically speaking when you get to 20 grams of net carbs, net carbs being total carb, carbohydrates minus the fiber, um, when you get to 20 grams and less, then your um, body sort of uses another source of energy than the, glu- the glucose that comes from these carbs. So uses its own fat. Uses its own fat and ketone bodies that, that are made in the liver, and then you can be in a state of nutritional ketosis. So that's one. So one, you know, or it's not all or nothing, but it's 20 grams or less. Well, what puzzles me, right, yeah. is that you'd expect our instincts to be guiding us on this. Uh, and yet it seems counterintuitive. Well, only for the last 60 years or so is it counterintuitive that, we've, that our intuition has been hijacked by, you know, the, all these messages that we get about what we should be eating. Oh, well, I'd like to see what typical diet was 60 years ago. Yeah, probably your parents. Your parents, or, or very possibly your grandparents, I would imagine, didn't eat a lot of processed foods. They just, they just didn't exist or weren't available. And, um, and so just starting off from what they call whole foods today, that I would refer to just as food, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, would actually help this in- intuition because then you would get a chance to feel full rather than have these processed hyperpalatable foods that you just you just can't sort of stop eating or that are engineered to make you eat more of them that because they want to sell more of them and so on the whole foods you know are, are satiating in and of themselves well uh, I'd like to see um what, is it, what exactly is meant by engineer to make you yeah. eat more of them in terms of what, what they contain, their taste? Yeah, there's a very good book that I read all about that called The Dorito Effect. Oh, yeah. And it really goes into quite a lot of detail about this whole engineering. They, they have PhD chemical engineers, you know, special flavour engineers, chemical flavours, working for these companies, food companies. To, to engineer, to make sure that the molecules that in the foods are just at what they call that bliss point. They make loads of tests and get people tasting them just to see at what point is it that good of a taste that people will want more. Right, and can you give an example of the sort of food we're talking about? Well, because the book's called The Dorito Effect, a Dorito, which is kind of chip, kind of crisp. Oh, right. 
Yeah, you may not know. I've never heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> You're interviewing the wrong person. Yeah, no, it's all to your credit that you've never heard of them. But these are what they call chips in North America, all right. crisps in England, that are all... Um, they, they have engineered the crunch factor, how crunchy they are, the flavours that they have, which are obviously completely made-up flavours and chemical flavours. So nacho flavour, I mean, it's or... or um, barbecue flavour or chicken wing flavour. There's no actual foods involved. It's all chemicals. And that's how they can engineer it. With all these chemical inputs and... You know, I mean, we can argue that everything's chemical. Water is chemical. But what they've done is to engineer that chemical um, mix to make it what they well, call hyperpalatable. Previously, um, you were talking about something more substantial than Doritos, weren't you? So is that engineered as well? Yeah, that was just one example of a really um, sort of a, a, a junk food. Yeah. But I mean, you've got things like ready-made meals. You've, you've even got staples like bread, which you know, if you look at the list of ingredients in bread, in, in store-bought bread, I mean, it doesn't look like the bread that you make at home. It's got all sorts of other things in it. So it, it runs the gamut, really. Of, you know, very, very highly processed, highly engineered. Uh, to to just slight, slightly less <laughs> tweaked foods, yeah, so-called natural foods. But, I mean, if things come in, as a general rule of thumb, if things come in either a bag or a packet or a sachet or a box yeah. with some sort of health claim on them, you can be pretty sure that they've been engineered in some way or processed. Right. As a general rule with a few notable exceptions, like coconut milk, for example, that comes in a can. And even that, you've got different types of coconut milks, you know. Some are just coconut cream and water, and some have got guar gum and thickeners added in, and so forth. You read the labels, which, is, which you need a PhD for in, in and of itself. But I reckon probably your parents, and especially your grandparents, probably at what we consider to be... Well, I remember it was quite common for us to have baked beans out of a tin, right? Sardines out of a tin. That kind of uh, protein. Um, Are you you saying that in those days that was also engineered? Um, I would probably baked beans, if you look on the label, probably have some other additives in them. And sardines, much less so. Today, sardines would probably be packed in some vegetable oil, which itself is probably refined and, yeah. Well, but if it's in water, not so bad. So you can, you know, there are a few exceptions like that of canned fish, yeah, that are less so. But engineered, no, not so much. That, I, I wouldn't class that as in the engineered group. Not as much as, like, chips or crisps. Oh, well, thank you very much. You're very, very welcome. Oh, this recording brings back great memories and I can't wait to see my dad again. And this episode wouldn't be complete without a shout-out to my lovely hubby, who's the best papa in the world for our lovely daughter, Lily. I know he's listening to this podcast because he supports me in everything I do, so I just want to say to him... Je t'aime. And if you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe so that you never miss another episode 
and scroll down, leave me a review and let me know if this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. And if you want to have help for cravings or to get more stable energy, then head on over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, where you can download my simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar and also my five tips to help you with cravings. They're on the podcast page, aftersugarclub.com forward slash podcast. You can also find me on Facebook, on my Life After Sugar Facebook page, on Instagram at my life after sugar. That's where I put pictures of what I eat and other Instagram stuff, as well as on Clubhouse. Look for my name, Netta Gorman. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.